Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Don't do it, Janet. That was the message this week from Christine Lagarde, Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund, to Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen on the pressing question in the markets whether the Fed should raise interest rates at its September meeting in two weeks' time. I'm Roger Blitz and welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly podcast looking at what is shaping the world's biggest financial market. As if Miss Yellen and her colleagues didn't need reminding, the IMS message was that there is, quote, little evidence of meaningful wage and price pressures so far, close quote. Inflation, or the lack of it, is the bugbear wherever you look across the big central banks. With me to discuss the inflation conundrum and how policymakers should slay the disinflation beast is Vincent Chenier, Managing Director, Global Head of Rates and FX Strategy at Société Générale. Vincent, first of all, do we or should we care what the IMF says? I mean, their perspective is global, and that's not necessarily the perspective of individual central banks. Hello, Roger. Uh, yeah, indeed. I mean, the central banks have their own mandate, and that does not necessarily fit with what the uh, IMF wants to uh, achieve. In the case of the US, obviously, the US economy is performing fairly well. And I think the Fed wants to tighten, but can they tighten? And that's where the global picture comes in. And the uh, input from the IMF is interesting. And what we see clearly is that the uh, EM economies are still slowing down. And what we've had this summer, i.e. a large fall in commodity prices, a large fall in EM currencies, that is creating a disinflationary force for developed economies that clearly is going to make it much more difficult for central banks to reach their inflation target. Yes. Just tell me how you think the dollar has been performing in the last couple of months against emerging market currencies and at the same time against some of its bigger peers. I think... What we've seen over the past five weeks, I would say, is an interesting decoupling. Basically, since mid-2014, the US dollar has been very strong against both EM currencies and G10 currencies. Very strong correlation there between the two indices. Mm. But over the past five weeks, we've seen a, an interesting decoupling. The US dollar is pretty stable against G10. And actually, if you take out the commodity currencies, the US dollar is actually weaker but it continues to go up against EM currencies. And I think that tells you that the focus is changing. The focus is not so much on the Fed, but it's more on the EM slowdown. It's more on that spiral that we have between EM currencies and falling commodity prices. Okay. Let's just look also at what else the IMF said, which was it was telling the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan to prime themselves for further asset purchases. I mean, this is endless money printing. I mean, is that the answer? Does cheap money revive growth? That's a fair question. I like to say that QE follows the law of diminishing returns. And that means that when the Fed started QE, 
it was far more efficient. In particular, bond yields were higher. Asset prices overall were lower. So through the wealth effects, through that channel, I think that worked quite well. Mm. Now you can question what more QE is going to bring. I think probably not a lot. But the reality is that those central banks are clearly going to struggle in terms of reaching their inflation target, both the BOJ and the ECB. And in that context, every law helps. And it's quite likely indeed that they will uh, uh, expand QE. So we think that the BOJ could top up QQE in the autumn, not by much, but it will top up QQE. And the ECB, we think, will run QE probably beyond September 2016. I mean, it's actually timely because it's six months since the ECB launched their QE program. So we should actually ask how successful it's been. I mean, let me put it this way. The program began on March the 9th when the euro was at $1.08. It was on its way down to the March 15 low of 104.56, which was the lowest for about a dozen years. And now it's, what is it now? It's about 112, 113. Two weeks ago, it went up to 117 after the big China equities debacle. So explain to me where you think the ECB wants the euro to be and how the asset purchasing program is helping it get it there. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that picture from March to September, you might conclude that the currency channel hasn't worked very well. But to be fair, I think we need to look at the bigger picture. And the ECB had signaled early in the year Mm. that QE was on its way. And that early this year caused quite a sharp weakening of the euro. So I think overall, from that point of view, I I don't think the ECB is too disappointed Although, obviously, the recent rise of the euro combined to the uh, the fall in commodity prices and EM currencies is going to be a drag in terms of reaching the inflation target. So the ECB probably is not very happy about that. We already heard that the ECB might do more. And indeed, I think they are not comfortable with the recent developments. Okay, but in terms of what the market thinks about how the ECB is doing, perhaps we should look at how the Eurozone economic performance is doing. Do you think the market is warming after six months of this program to the idea that it's actually having the effect on the economy? I mean, we had some disappointing retail data this morning, but at the same time, the business confidence is looking quite strong and Spain is going fantastically well, isn't it? It is. It's maybe an overstatement for me to say that Europe has been a a silver lining in this global picture, which is a global picture of a slowing global economy. But Europe has done even better than expected. But but keep in mind that we had the combination of monetary policy easing, uh, falling euro, falling commodity prices. The fiscal policies are less restrictive than they used to be. So all that is a very strong stimulus. And indeed, H1 was quite strong. I think going forward, it's likely that H2 is going to be slightly less strong. I would say growing along 1.5%, which is probably close to, to potential. So doing not bad, but it's not buoyant. And it's probably not enough uh, to support a long-lasting recovery of the euro. Our bias is still to the downside into the turn of the year. Because like most other major economies, inflation is just so difficult to tackle. Just what is going on with this disinflation issue? Lower oil prices meant to be encouraging people to spend more, but they're not doing that. So this is a big structural moment in the global economy that we 
just didn't anticipate. Indeed, I think you're right. You know, historically, when you have lower energy prices, it's obviously negative for inflation, uh, headline inflation at least, but, but usually positive for growth. And I think something that has happened is that the multipliers today are probably much lower. And indeed, the purchasing power gains are not fully spent. And I think part of that is probably a lasting drag from the financial crisis, but also all the discussions that we have typically in Europe about the uh, pension regimes that are not sustainable because of the demographic shock. So all that makes people more, more cautious and they save more. Where the impact remains very strong is inflation indeed, especially when the uh, fall in, in commodity prices is amplified by the fall of EM currency. And in, in a world where possibly there is a chronic lack of demand, that's what the tenants of uh, a secular stagnation will tell you, Probably that fall in EM currencies is going to intensify competition and probably keep inflation quite low for longer. Which therefore enables us to look at the problem from the other way around, which is the target that central banks, policymakers have set themselves, this 2% target that is pretty much universal across the major central banks. If we are going to have to live with this low inflation regime. What does it tell us about the target of 2%? Was it too high? Dare they adjust them? Dare they turn around to the market and say, do you know what? Actually, why don't we just lower it and let the target come towards or where the long-term inflation story is heading? What do you think of that? There is a big academic debate about this, and I think it will go on for much longer. For me, that links into the risk associated to very easy monetary policy. Central banks run very easy monetary policy, and that in time can create imbalances, bubbles in particular. So there is a risk that by trying to achieve that 2% target that, as you say, is somewhat elusive, they create new imbalances. Maybe they shouldn't try so hard, and maybe they should accept anyway that monetary policy cannot fix everything, which they say, which they know. You need a better policy mix. Now, is the target going to be revised anytime soon? I think you need probably more academic evidence that this 2% target is actually counterproductive. And I don't see that changing very quickly. So we're pretty much stuck where we are then, aren't we? This is how the rest of the year is going to look. It's just going to be continual inflation, downward pressure, holding off on rates rising, keeping the money printing presses going, which isn't that much different from recent years. Well, I think we should not underestimate, indeed, the developments we've had this summer, not only in terms of market prices, as I said, commodities and EM currencies, but also in terms of the Chinese policy move. The fact that they decided to use the FX tool is a little bit of an act of desperation because they know that using that tool is not without risk. The big risk is that you would see large capital outflows from China and actually that would hurt the economy. And that's why they're trying to stabilize the whole thing and running down reserves. But what's happening is that basically China has de-anchored Asian currencies, which had been very resilient. And as those Asian currencies weaken, you have another disinflationary wave, which indeed, I think, is going probably to keep monetary policy 
easier for longer in the developed world. I think the Fed wants to tighten. The question is, can they tighten? Our economists still think that they will tighten. Uh, but if they do that soon, in September in particular, I'm concerned the market would see that as a policy mistake. And therefore, the risk assets would react very badly. And I don't think the treasury market would sell off that much, actually. I think the long end would perform pretty well in what would be seen as a policy mistake. Just finally, Vincent, just taking the perspective over the course of the year, the way in which EM currencies began the year pretty much as the subject that really didn't get raised in your circles with your colleagues or with clients and that kind of thing. And now it's almost like this is the big issue that policymakers have to look out for first and foremost. Is that overplayed? Do you see that's how it's gone over the course of the year? I think the focus has changed quite dramatically indeed. Actually, people were concerned about EM currencies early this year, but that was more because of the Fed. People were concerned that when the Fed starts to raise rates or the fears of, of a Fed hike would prove quite painful for EM currencies. But I think the focus has changed. It's not so much the Fed right now. Fed fears actually have been scaled down this summer. If you look at the uh, probabilities of Fed highs, for example, they have declined. Yes. So it's not so much the Fed fears that are in the driving seat. It's, it's more now the uh, EM slowdown. And I think this policy move from China has probably fanned those concerns because people are not quite sure what exactly happens in China. And that policy move, as I said, is a bit of an act of desperation, is, has only fanned concerns about the Chinese economy. And of course, let's keep in mind that Russia is struggling, Brazil is struggling. So the focus really is on the EM slowdown now more than the Fed, definitely. My thanks to Vincent Chagneux of Société Générale. Please keep up to date with all the latest Forex news and analysis on our website, ft.com slash fx. We'll be back next week to follow the latest Forex movements. Join us then. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast presented by me, Claire Barrett, the editor of FT Money. The Money Show comes out every Wednesday and you can download it at ft.com slash podcasts. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.